Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, January 6, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 6, the second paragraph, beginning with The Mind and Body Are. Today's readers are as follows. Reading the OA 12 Steps is Janice M. Reading the OA 12 Traditions is Katie G. And reading the literature are Lisa P., Crystal, and Judy B. The share ID for Sunday, January 5th, 5th meeting, titled The Double Whammy, is 5724. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the OA 12 steps. Well, good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of OA. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result 
pardon me, as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Tess. Thank you, Janice. I will now ask Katie G. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Boston. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, KDT. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 6, the second paragraph, beginning with The Mind and Body Are. I will ask Lisa P. to begin reading. Hi, this is Lisa P. from Fort Collins, Colorado. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, for mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. 
Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. So this shows where the disease takes me when I'm not in recovery, when I don't have a community, when I don't have the steps, when I don't have the traditions, because before I found recovery, I was in a place where people were fearing for my sanity. And there was um, insane moments when I wasn't thinking clearly, when God wasn't working through me, and where I hadn't done the self-examination to show me the patterns, the core patterns and beliefs that was taking me where the disease wanted to take me because the disease had a mind of its own and when I wasn't able to listen to God, I listened to the disease, which was most of the time. Um, My weight would fluctuate. I would either be overweight or I'd be underweight. I'd be in deprivation mode a lot of the time. And so I was... um, had to go through what I had to go through to get where I am today. And so today, after being through the steps, making my amends, and living in steps 10, 11, and 12, I'm here with this wonderful group and listening and learning and becoming what God wants me to be. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa P. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Lauren S. Katie G. from Boston. Lauren S. I heard Eileen, Lorna, and Katie G. Eileen? Thank you so much. This is Eileen, compulsive overeater uh, in Bedford, Mass. Uh, These two paragraphs, I back up to the last one about the remorse, the horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. And the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. The mind endured this agony two more years. Well, mine endured for 18 more years. The remorse, the horror, the hopelessness of once again being physically addicted to sugar and flour and and not being able to say no to it not being able to, uh, and just succumbing to it until I got the willingness to stop doing it. I stole from people, just like he talks about in this paragraph, to get my drug without them knowing, but I've since made amends to those people because I don't behave the way that I want to behave when I'm in the disease of addiction. That drug owns me. I don't care if it's alcohol, heroin, food, cigarettes, whatever it is. A drug is a drug is a drug. And and he talks all about moving his mattress down to another flight. 
um, uh, then came the the physical and the mental torture. Um, it is it is physical and mental torture. Thank you, God. I'm not at that place anymore. You know, I'm in recovery, and I've got all of you, a fellowship of people who can listen to me and and hear me vent uh, about problems. Um, you know, for I'm not working right now. I've got a phone interview today. You know, but I'm not worried because God is going to put me, set me right, and put me in the place that I'm gonna and and supposed to be working at. And I trust that, and I believe that. Thanks for listening, Pass. Thank you, Eileen. Lorna. Yes, this is Lauren S. I recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Then came the night when the torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window. I relate this to page XXX, the first paragraph, when it says, There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause um, men to make a supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Oh, so did I. In reading this paragraph, did I have times when the physical and mental torture was so hellish that I did not want to wake up the next morning when I would hope a bus would run me over as I jaywalked many times. Again, the next page, next day, found me drinking both gin and sedatives. I would mix my food with alcohol and drugs. I would do that, especially a certain drug. I would get so hungry that I remember one night, I walked about, um, it was like 20 minutes, around 3.30 a.m. to go to McDonald's. And I was drunk and under the influence of drugs, and I needed that food. And um, it's just ridiculous. I needed that food so bad. And also, I was here it says I was 40 pounds underweight. I was 60 pounds overweight from my eating. Um, yeah, okay, thanks, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. I apologize for getting your name wrong. Katie G. Hello, everyone. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Boston. Um, okay, grateful to be here, absent sober by the grace of God. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service and for everybody who's here on the line. Um, this is a fantastic um, story that I can, or tale, I'm using the wrong words, that I can relate to um, my own life. Um, you know, I sought escape, and what is escape to break free from confinement or control? Like, how much did I, you know, I went to Malawi, Africa. I I moved, I, um, I, I found relationships, um, and I didn't really have relationships. I had hostages. I sought something outside myself thinking that, you know, maybe that would fix me. Maybe that would cure me. 
And, um, yeah, I didn't um, drag that mattress, but I certainly would hide my wallet. I remember going out one time and being so afraid that I was going to eat. So I went through this whole thing with my partner to leave my license, to bring my license, but leave my cash at home. And I remember calling her and convincing her that I needed my bank card for some obscure reason I don't even remember now. But my reasoning was I needed, I needed that food. I needed that food. And next day found me eating both gin and sedative. Absolutely. I mean, I was using, this is not a, you know, an AA or an NA meeting, but I mean, I, at one point, in order to address my disease of compulsive overeating, I was taking so many different psychiatric medications that I personally didn't need at that time, and I was abusing them along with my food. And I remember, you know, yeah, my family was really worried. My dad was very, very afraid about my sanity, and he would, you know, I could convince him of anything. I need to go to this, you know, anorexic specialist, this compulsive overeater specialist, because I, 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 my behavior was so abnormal. I was going to his house. He would go to bed at night, and I would eat all of their food. You know, and I was, I was not. Uh, I was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And thank you, God. Thank you, God, that God has, had, you know, found me. This was the last place I wanted to go, and it was my only hope because everything else I had was was not working. I was done. I was unemployable. I couldn't maintain a relationship. I was. Um, I was, I, I had no life except for eating. And thank you, God, you know, I found these rooms. I found people with a message of death and weight. I've gone through the steps. I live in 10, 11, and 12 today. And, um, and I'm not afraid, you know. I'm not dying from this hopeless state of mind and body. I have hope today. I am recovered. So if you're here, you know, and you're on the line and you're totally aware that food is your drug of no choice, welcome. Welcome home. There is a place for all of us here. Thank you. Thank you, Katie G. Raquel, I heard you. You can be next. Raquel? Well, maybe she'll get on after. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Bella. Can I share? Yes, go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Rebecca, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Oh, boy, how I love this paragraph. Cursing myself for a weakling. Yes, there I was, and there I don't want to be there anymore. Yes, I wanted the control. I wanted to to drive my life, and I thought that I have the control, and I can control my eating. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program, and I am aware, and I know that my disease is nothing to do with me or with my willpower. I have a disease that it's an allergy in the body and an obsession in the mind, and this I got as a present from God, nothing to do with me. And before the program, yes, I was cursing myself because I cannot manage my life, and I have a miserable life. I have a miserable life with myself because I don't accept myself the way I am, I don't respect myself the way I am, and I don't accept and respect 
my, the people around me because I need to prove them all the time and I don't get their approval. Thank you, God, not anymore. And this is the first step to accept and admit, yes, thank you, God, I accept and admit that I am powerless. I am a special, unique child of God, and this is the way I was created from God. And I, I have a wonderful opportunity <clears throat> excuse me, to live my life with this disease. Yes, now I accept and admit that I want to be connected to God. I, I don't see that my, my compulsive overeating as, a, as my weakening. No, not anymore. I see myself as a happy human with my limitations, and I am open myself to be willing to do God's will for me and not mine. I don't have to drive, to drive my life anymore. I, I don't have to sit in the driver's seat anymore. I am proud that I, I am connected to God, and God is leading me, and my life is, wow, it's a present. I am aware, yes, I have a disease, a, a, an allergy in the body, an obsession in the mind, and thank you, God, I have an opportunity to live with this in freedom and peaceful. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. This is Rebecca. Bella? Hi, Devora. I'm going to share, and then you could go after me. Um, compulsive overeater, recovered compulsive overeater. And um, what jumps out at me is the first sentence, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms where mine endured this agony two more years. I'm reminded that what I've learned in these rooms is that this is a progressive disease. And as bad as it was, it got worse and worse. And I've learned that even if we stop um, engaging with our substance, it's still progressing so that if we go back to it ever, um, we don't pick up where we left off. We pick up as if we'd been doing it all along. And this disease will kill me. Um, it was killing me. And it was going to get worse and worse and worse, as we can see that it has with Bill. Um and then the second thing I wanted to bring up is that, um, well, that on page five, Bill said, you know, very recently in this story, uh, this had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink, yet he couldn't stop of his own um, abilities. Uh, we as addicts do not have, or I anyway, did not have the ability on my own self-will to stop even once I realized in these rooms that that was the solution was to stop. I still couldn't do it until I surrendered and admitted that I needed a power greater than myself and that I had to uh, work this program as I was being taught rather than trying to do it uh, my version, my way, pick and choose. And I also want to mention on page four, which is only two pages earlier, 
that um, the papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. This disgusted me. I would not jump. He was disgusted by the thought of people killing themselves, and here he is, uh, that which he was disgusted by, uh, trying to kill himself or in fear of killing himself. And, in fact, whether he did it with uh, jumping out a window or one of these other methods or drinking himself to death, he was killing himself. And um, it occurred to me that I never really thought about this before, but I used to have thoughts of when I was driving along. I would actually have thoughts of, hmm, I could just end this by, you know, going in front of that truck or something. And I I guess I wasn't serious about it, but the thoughts crossed my mind, and uh, they don't anymore because um, I've been relieved of this obsession and uh, live a new life today. And with that, I'll pass. And um, someone was going to... Devora, you're next. Hi, thank you, Rebecca. This is Devora. I'm a compulsive overeater in New Jersey, and I am recovered. Thank you, God. Um, I like that first sentence, too. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine and George's agony two more years. And, you know, for me, it was decades, actually, um, where I just, you know, that mental obsession, it was going to be when that it's going to be today. Today, I'm going to, this is going to be the day where I'm not going to eat anymore. This is going to be the day that I'm going to lose 150 pounds. This is going to be the day that I'm going to start today, the diet. You know, this is going to be it. And over and over and over again, and not being able to do it. And, yes, people did fear for my life. Um, you know, I, I didn't have to, um, you know, I, I didn't drag a mattress over to the window thinking I'm going to jump out the window. But how many times did I go to bed at night wondering if I'm going to wake up in the morning because I was so obese, I had high blood pressure, I was diabetic, and I thought that, you know, that am I going to wake up in the morning? Like that feeling, that fear, intense fear of will I get up in the morning tomorrow? And it was very, very real. Um, and I remember uh, many years ago being on vacation with my mother, and she she was, we were walking in Florida on a beautiful day in the wintertime. It was beautiful and warm in Florida. And she was literally crying to me, fearing for me. She said, I don't want to lose a child. I don't want to have to go through that pain. And she was obviously in a lot of pain and turmoil watching me um, um, kill myself with, this, with the food. And, um, you know, she didn't, you know, she know about my mental illness, my mental obsession, she was looking at me on the outside and knowing that I was, you know, really physically not doing very well. And, um, you know, just so grateful to have my have found my ways into these rooms and, you know, became abstinent and, and working the steps and living in 10, 11, and 12 today, you know, and I know who I am today um, and just so grateful I have another day today to do God's will. And I really believe that is you know, to work the steps and to stay abstinent and, um, and and give it over to God. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? 
This is Leia. I heard Leia and Paula. Was there someone else? Kim. And Kim. Leia, you're next. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leia. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, I'm really seeing the progression here. You know, this Bill's story I identify in, and it is quite the frightening and vivid and detailed account of his mad descent into alcoholism. I mean, look at the top of the page. At the top of the page, he's laughing at the gin mills. Now at the bottom of the page, he's, uh, you know, then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window sash and all. You know, this is the progression of the disease. This is the agony, and I relate to it, because this illness deteriorates every facet of our lives. Um, Certainly in reading Bill's story, I can see, you know, the deterioration of his relationships. Not much of a marriage going on at this point. Um, Physically, he's deteriorating, obviously. He's 40 pounds underweight. He's deteriorating mentally. You know, the the mental torture is upon him. Um, his, His... his values, his ethics, his morals, you know, he's stealing from his wife's slender purse um, when the terror and madness is on him. Um, he's unable to use, he's a brilliant man. He's unable to utilize those talents. He basically has no sense of family, no sense of community. Um, I relate to that where the madness feels so severe and it feels like your soul is getting sucked out of you. These are the promises of the disease. You know, I had stopped thousands of times. The question was, how do I not start again? You know, every day there was a new wave of insanity that was washing up on my beach. Um, You know, people feared for his sanity uh, people were talking to him, but you can't scare an alcoholic into staying sober because you can't scare the dying. You know, it is a, it is a willingness is a, is a one person job. Uh, you know, when he says here that he fears, you know, he's going to jump out the window, uh, burst through the window, sash and all, you know, sometimes the greatest loss really is dying inside while you're still alive. It is so painful. And I remember that pain. And you know what? Something came between me and compulsive overeating more than 26 years ago and has been there ever since. And that is the recovery process. You know, if your problem is that you're powerless over food and you're tired of living uh, this way of life, we have a recovery process. The secret of the 12 steps is that it is indeed possible to effectuate such a dramatic change in character, in personality, and in values. And that's why we study every morning, because this book is designed to bring about that experience, to restore me to sanity, to bring me to soundness of mind, to relieve me of this obsession, to, you know, to, uh, to expel that obsession to drive out that merciless obsession and enable me to become happily and usefully whole. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Paula? This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. So much has been said. 
the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. That's the way he began. And that's the way we begin. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms that they were. But then we watch and we read a couple of pages before this man that said this and lived this. He lived a wonderful life, exciting life. And then he started and it became jittery in the morning. That's all. Just jittery in the morning. And then within pages, it increases, shaken violently. And what does he say at the end of that? Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Now, there it again, those periods of sobriety or abstinence. And I'd just like to go on and just come down a little bit here. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and and I sought escape. He even brought her with him to seek escape as if the one was when it was within him. The turtle has a shell on his back. It doesn't leave him. It cannot. It is part of him. This disease immersed itself and became such a part of him, but it took a bigger and bigger part. But then he goes on. Now, here's the dilemma, and this is where I had been. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish. I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. He wanted to die, but what did he do? I would heat the next line. I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leap. He wanted to die, but he didn't want to live, but he didn't want to die. And here we go. And there, and he said, the line said, so did I. People feared for my sanity. I want to live, but I'm killing myself. They're the place where Bill is now. And thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Kim? Hello, this is Rachel from Jerusalem. Can Hi, you Rachel. hear me? Yes, Kim's going to go, and then you'll be next. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My, <clears throat> my name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. You know, I just picture myself sitting in front of the refrigerator, opening the door and then closing it, opening the door and then closing it, or being in a grocery store and walking up and down those aisles with all the food I know I shouldn't eat, but I want to eat it. Should I eat it? But I know I shouldn't eat it. Should I eat it? But I know I shouldn't eat it. Or going into the break room at work where they're having you know, food there and just going in and out of the break room with an excuse from the other trying, is this time is the time I'm going to give in? Is this the time I'm going to give in? You know, that is the progression of this illness. You know, once again, Bill was having a great time for many pages. And now he can't even function in life. You know, we talk about how it works the easier, softer way, and we think that's the food. But if we really look at this progression, is this the easier, softer way? He's dragging his mattress down because he's afraid he's going to jump out of a window. You know, this is the progression of the illness. And I have to say for myself and, and those of my fellows who are coming back to OA yet again, you know, I spent many years, 17 years coming in and out of this fellowship, in and out of this fellowship. In? And we have something yep. that we call, something that we call, um, Relapse and recovery. And I would keep saying, I keep relapsing, I keep relapsing. But on page 59, right before the steps, it says, here are the steps we took 
which are suggested as a program of recovery. If I am not working the steps, then how am I relapsing from recovery? All I'm doing is having the disease progress. I'm getting on a diet. I'm getting off the diet. And what I, what I did personally was I looked at that food and I threw slogans at it. I would say, meeting makers make it. And I would go to enough meetings hoping I wouldn't pick up. I would say, remember my last drunk, and I would try to remember how miserable I was, and that wouldn't stop me. I would throw tools at it. You know, that, that old saying is, you know, we are, as compulsive overeaters, there's a tiger in a cage, and we have to let it out three times a day. I thought that I felt that, that, that hellish talk about cursing himself and being a weakling. I felt that tiger pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. And the only way I could stop it was I would throw the fellowship, and I would throw fear, and I would throw the latest diet on it, and I would throw the tools, and I would throw human aid, and human aid, and human aid. And I would say relapse and recovery, but really what it was was the progression of the illness. The progression of the illness. It wasn't until I decided that this book had the solution, that the steps were my pathway out of this hellish nightmare that I created, and I worked the steps without trying to change them, without putting Kim's twist on it, with stop taking people's opinions. And I walked out of there, and there's no tiger in the cage. I do not want to eat my binge food. I live a life today where I get up in the morning and I say, God, how can I be useful? I wake up in the morning peaceful, excited about my day. That is very different than this here. Again, I sways dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for being a weakening. As a recovered woman, I now know that the easier, softer way is to work this recovery, which is the steps, one day at a time. However, when I was in this paragraph, I couldn't see that. So I just want to invite all of you who have come back like me again and again to seek the program of recovery by working these steps in the order it's presented, putting the food down, and joining us on this highway. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Rachel? Rachel, we don't hear you, honey. Okay, um, Crystal, would you like to take the next paragraph? Good morning. This is Crystal, compulsive overeater, recovered by the grace of God. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. Of course, we know the nationally known hospital was Towns in New York, and Dr. Siltworth told Bill of his grave nature of alcoholism. In the letter Dr. Siltworth wrote, in the doctor's opinion, he states, 
that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And I was at such dis-ease in my own skin in living life and facing reality and connecting with others and in making decisions. I had to have a crutch, a buffer between me and how I felt. My alcoholic food ingredients, my binge food, gave me the effect I needed to face another day. I invited my binge foods in as a guest and soon became my master. I am the chronic compulsive overeater. I am of the class that can never safely ingest my binge foods in any form at all. I pass. Thank you, Crystal. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Sharon. May I share? Go ahead, Sharon. Okay. Um, thank you, Rebecca, and thank you and welcome to everyone out on the line. Um, you know, I just am amazed, too, when uh, when Leah said, you know, up, up at the top he was, you know, boasting about, you know, the gin mills weren't going to be a problem for him anymore, and, and now... Um, you know, he can, he is so full of suicidal thoughts and so many things. And, um, but this is the beginning of his uh, meeting with this doctor who uh, explained to him, though certainly selfish and foolish, he had been very seriously ill bodily and mentally. And, um, you know, I just can relate so much to these paragraphs. I just see myself on every single page and the uh, progression uh, of every time I, too, was one of those that uh, relapsed and came back, relapsed and came back, relapsed and came back, and, and really began to believe that was my only hope, was to try and just stay abstinent as long as I could, and then, you know, I was going to uh, end up being uh, in relapse again. So the thing that I see differently today and means uh, the world to me is that I started listening to this meeting and they were in the doctor's opinion and I was able to see what I had not seen before, that this is a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and um, I must take care of both of those situations through the process of the steps first putting the food down and then beginning to work these steps just like they're laid out in this book and continue then, um, you know, I've gone through step nine, now I'm in um, working uh, the 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis and I know today I have a, a daily reprieve. It's not that I can suddenly think, oh, well, now I've got it, now I can lighten up, now I can do this or that. No, I must be willing uh, to do exactly what this book says. And uh, so I'm so grateful to see that today and to know that I have this hope in my heart that I never had, that by God's grace, I will stay stopped one day at a time if I am willing and committed 
to following the directions in this book and to help others. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Sharon. Is Raquel on the line by any chance? I am, but it seems that this phone is no good for talking. Do you hear me now? We do hear you now. Do you want to give it a try, Rachel? I'd love to. I love you all there. It is so wonderful, wonderful to listen. And this paragraph, I, I identify the, the one before, well, this part of the story, that hellish thing, you know, it brings back memories. But instead of being sad with those memories, listening to you guys, all of you, just makes me so grateful that I'm not there anymore. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I remember working as a single mother with four kids on my back. And where did I know how to, what to turn to to get strength at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, uh, when I'm scared because I'm teaching in a school that I don't agree with their philosophy and God knows what, but definitely some bread and, and diet margarine and three cups of coffee with, with a sweetener, which is also sugar, is certainly going to fix every problem in my life. And then when that year, that awful year that I'm thinking about, when every night I would go to sleep, you know, hoping that together with my clothes that fell on the floor, my life would fall and shatter and I wouldn't wake up in the morning. And then getting up in the morning and mastering all the little strength I still had and go at it again and go at it again to, to try and survive being alive because inside my being inside my skin was so bad. And then and then at the end of the year all I could do is just lie on the couch, look at the ceiling and cry. And then I went to a rehab and I learned there so much. And I came out, and how did Bill say, the goose hung high for a while, and then again and again. Well, you know, I lost about 70 pounds 10 times in my life and always took it back on and back into program. But I never understood. I kept on asking, tell me, what is my alcohol? What constitutes alcohol for me? And nobody could tell me, just, you know, all the white knuckling and all and that. I never had more than seven or nine months. And now, with God's help and with your help, on December 12th, I had five years. It's true, I went to NA meetings because there they spoke life or death. And that's what it is for me. It's not the size of the dress and it's not the pounds. That was pretty awful in itself, but just that I get so depressed if I put any kind of sugar in me. For me, bread is sugar. It turns into glucose in your body, and then I'm just off and running. So now it's five years, thank God, that, you know, I, 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 I won't think of putting it in my mouth any more than I would bite this phone receiver that I have in my hand. It just doesn't exist, and I, I, I just cannot say how grateful I am. I cannot. 
I just came back from a hospital stay from an operation. It was hard surviving there because they didn't understand that I, you know, what my limitations were. So every time they'd come up with this gluten bread and got, I cannot put bread into my system. I can't even use oatmeal. It's so innocent. I can't because these are my, these are the triggers. I'm a Holocaust survivor. And for me, there were no ice cream boxes and cakes. There was a dry piece of bread was the staff of life. So anything that chews mealy is not for me. But this this description here, the hellish part, that I'm not there anymore, well, I have no words. I thank you so. God strengthen every one of you. And anyone who is on the line who can't get abstinent, just keep at it and 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 hang on to the people who are doing it and and just put one foot in front of the other and you'll see how much better life becomes without without those those things that are just they're not friends those binge foods they just stick a knife in your back when you when you turn your back on them thank you so much for being there god bless you all and i pass thank you Raquel. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Janice, I'd like to share, Rebecca. Go ahead, Janice. Well, thank you, Rebecca, and thank you, everyone. My name is Janice M. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Just very briefly, oh, now Bill is in a hospital, and he's getting a treatment to clear up his brain, to get rid of the alcohol. You know, they did a belladonna treatment, a sedative that would so that he wouldn't go into whatever. And um, so his brain was cleared. See, that's the first thing. So he feels good. And best of all, he says, I met a kind doctor who explained what his problem was, what his problem is. And like us, like myself, I should talk about me, Okay, yeah, they tell me I can't have this. Now I know what the problem is. You know, that wonderful, wonderful special edition yesterday taught us what the missing piece is, what our problem is. We have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. So now we go out. Now I got out and I said, now see, I got it. All those books I read, but now I know what the problem is. But you see, that's not going to be enough. And we're going to see what happens. The missing piece that Bill didn't have but was given by Dr. Silkworth is the problem, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. So now we'll see what happens with this knowledge that Bill has. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thanks so much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. I mean, obviously they're referring to Dr. William Silkworth, and he was the first physician to fully understand and put into words what an alcoholic's problem is. So he describes to Bill, you know, that Bill is uh, has an allergy of the body. He's biologically mandated. Um, you know, most people don't have 
this condition. Once Bill puts alcohol into his body, he is reacting in a way that demands more alcohol. And Dr. William Silkworth calls this reaction a phenomenon of craving. His very cells, Bill's very cells, demand to be satisfied beyond his ability to control it. So instead of quenching Bill's thirst, alcohol creates an overwhelming thirst, and he's compelled to drink beyond rational consumption. And I relate to that. There were certain binge foods uh, that once I ingested, it was like taking a match and throwing it into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! Uh, Dr. William Silkworth also, also described to Bill that he is ill mentally. You know, that there is um, <laughs> this mental obsession that takes possession of him without his consciousness and without his permission. That Bill is being driven by a compulsion. He will, even though he has this information now, Bill will inevitably uh, be possessed once again by this obsession. His mind is broken. His mind is flawed. I relate to that. You know, I had the necessity and the wish to stop, but I could not learn from my consequences. It was as if I forgot to remember the pain and suffering that had happened the day before. You know, my book is going to tell me essentially that the consciousness that created my problem cannot be the same consciousness that solves the problem. All action is born in thought. But this intellect that Bill has, this knowledge that Bill has, is not going to be enough. What my book tells me is the fact that what's going to restore my sanity, according to the big book, is not going to be any self-knowledge. It's not going to be any inner strength that I can muster up. It's not going to be any willpower of mine or any determination or any human creation. None of those is going to be enough to conquer the greater aspect of my disease, which is the obsession of the mind. I'm going to need the help of a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. And that is the whole purpose of this book, the whole purpose purpose of this book is to take me from this type of existence, this agonizing, torturous type of existence, to an existence where the obsession of the mind has been expelled and I can walk this planet as a free woman. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. This is Rebecca, and I'd just like to um, add before we close that in that last sentence of this paragraph where it says, I met, where Bill says, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. I, I like that the doctor does acknowledge that we are selfish and foolish as well as ill. And, um, even though we do have this disease and it's not a moral issue, uh, yeah, I was selfish and foolish as well as being um, allergic and obsessed. And by the grace of God, this program teaches us about our allergy and obsession, our illness, and then it addresses our selfishness and our foolishness. And with that, I will pass, and um, it is time to close. So, 
Dr. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Judy B. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Judy B., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. Excuse me. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.